0: All right. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Alford on our front porch of what I like to call the treehouse here. Um, we've done other live shots from here. You may have seen Quentin Lucas from this afternoon around two o'clock and Jolie Justice now joins us getting comfortable with Mark Alford. Good to see you. Good
1: to see you. Thank I don't you. know
0: you very well, but um, I've kind of been following your career and I and, uh, know you've had a pretty long career in politics. How did you get interested in politics?
1: You know, actually, I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade mm-hmm. and uh, spent the last 21 years at the law firm of Shook, & and Bacon, and 16 of those, I've been the director of pro bono legal services. So I provide all the free legal services that the firm, the firm has. And it was back in 2006, I was spending all my time down at Family Court, which mm. is representing kids and families in the foster care That's system. That's a tough job. It, it's not easy. And uh, representing kids in the juvenile justice uh, system. And And I decided I was tired of cleaning up messes in the courtroom and Charlie Wheeler announced very unexpectedly he was not running for reelection. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I hope my state representative runs. I Hmm. suggested that to her. Her name was Beth Lowe at the time. And um, she said she was not old enough. You had to be 30 to run for state senate, (laughs) and I just happened to be 30, and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to see if I can make a difference down there. So I I ran and won and spent eight years in Jefferson City as a state senator. I I took office in 2007 Mm -hmm. and served through 2015.
0: You're still in contact with Charlie?
1: Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. He's endorsed my campaign, which I was very proud of, and and, uh, I see him from time to time around town. He holds court in several of the same places. You can catch up with him pretty easily. The uh,
0: Westport Flea Market. Westport
1: Flea Market Market on Fridays, and I usually see him also a lot of Saturdays over at Grand Street Cafe. Yeah.
0: I saw him a couple of weeks ago in an event, and he still has got the snap and still has got oh, yeah. the love for Kansas City. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I remember when I moved into his office because I was taking his space, he had a lot of the pictures he'd left behind. And one of them, of course, was the famous picture of him wrestling a bear. Have you ever seen that one? No. When he was mayor of Kansas City. He wrestled he a wrestled bear? He wrestled a bear. I don't remember who won, uh. but there's a photograph of it.
0: <laughs> Figuratively, you're kind of wrestling a bear now in the mayor's race. You know, a, lot That's a of, big bear. Yeah,
1: yeah. Every, you know, A lot about politics is wrestling wrestling
0: bears (laughs) what makes you want to be mayor
1: you know I just truly believe that the things that impact people's lives on a local level are the things that are the most important the quality of life stuff and so I, I just Kansas City's on a roll I've seen so much progress over the last eight years and I want to make sure that we do two things that we keep that momentum that we keep attracting new people to Kansas City retaining the great um neighborhoods that we have and then really what we need to do though is make sure that we're we're having that success felt in every neighborhood and it's it's time to, to make sure we're we're doing that.
0: What do you think was the turnaround point? Was it Kay Barnes and the development of power and light or what was it that really got things cooking here?
1: I think everything kind of built on that. I actually ran into to Mayor Barnes last night. We were walking down um, 13th Street. She was walking, I think, uh, west and I was walking east and just randomly ran into her. Huh. <laughs> and I, I gave her a big hug and I there was a traffic jam. There were people everywhere. And I was just thinking back to my first job at 12th and Main and how at that time in the evening there would be nobody downtown. And I just kind of took her by the arm and I said, do you ever look around and all of this and kind of say, I, I was a part of that. What a
0: great legacy. And,
1: uh, and you know, of course, she's a very humble person. So she said, oh, it was a lot of us. But it was her vision to really yeah. push forward. So that started it. But, you know, it's, it's every, it's all those things. Kansas City, there's this spirit and this pride that, that we can do anything. Yeah, we've got this sort of idea. And so um, I think that, that Mayor Barnes obviously had the vision to, to jumpstart downtown. Uh, we had, obviously, Mayor James come in with, with a lot of big ideas to keep the city moving forward under his watch we've seen really kind of we've become more popular on a national level, hitting a lot of those top ten lists, uh, Winning pulling the down, World Series. Winning the World Series didn't hurt. Didn't hurt um, landing that Google fiber as the right. first in the country. Um, there's so many things that rolled together all at once that I think this led to
0: government it. positions moving from Washington DC here, six hundred jobs? That is huge.
1: That is huge. The idea of having 600 new jobs, and this isn't part of the border war, where we've got one side fighting the other side. This is bringing in new jobs to KCMO.
0: That's incredible. What do you think is the biggest challenge right now here in Kansas City?
1: Our biggest challenge without question is public safety and violent crime. Crime? Yeah, it absolutely is. The homicide rate in our community is unconscionable. The trauma it inflicts on the survivors, obviously, on the families, the neighborhoods. It's, it's um, something that is going to continue to hold us back as a community, and uh, we won't be able to, to grow without us really resolving that. And so, that's, so what do you do about it? So I do a couple of things. You know, when I was in the state Senate, I had the opportunity to serve uh, with some folks who were interested in criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting mix of extraordinarily conservative folks and extraordinarily liberal folks all coming together and saying, okay, we're being tough on crime but we're not being smart on crime right um, We are spending more money and we're less safe. So one of the things that we have obviously had to do is start to change that so we're putting more money into specialty courts we're putting more money into mental health and addiction services. Um, we're also making sure that when people re-enter the community after they have served time that we have case management services so they're getting jobs and, and getting back to work those are the things that are critically important.
0: Sorry for the mower, folks. I did not plan this, but the guys mowing a yard, which is good. We like to have our yeah, yards we like mode. to have mar- yards mowed. So, um, what is the? Why are people killing each other? You
1: know, it's it's a lot of things combined. We've got long-term systemic issues of, like I said, mental health, addiction, poverty, um, lack of hope, lack of opportunity, and those things combined build up. We also have, and I've talked to our AT, ATF agents about this, uh, and a lot of our federal agents, we have a whole lot of illegal weapons in our community. So most of the the homicides that we have in Kansas City are gunshots. Well how
0: do you get those off? If you don't have stop and frisk or something like that, well, you weed out those guns. You know,
1: that's, that's part of the problem. One of the things that we have to do is do what they focus on this precision policing concept. Where you are going after the main network of people who are committing the vast majority of the homicides. Now, not all of the homicides in Kansas City are, are, you know, coming out of the same network of individuals. But if you can go after and actually close cases against individuals who are part of, um, you know, a network of, repeated homicides and gunshot wounds, you're going to start to make a difference and you're going to be able to to get a lot of those guns off the street in the
0: process. How much is it people not willing to come forward with information and something
2: they know?
1: That's a lot of it. It's absolutely a lot of it. Had a great conversation with our prosecutor, Jean Peters Baker, a couple weeks ago. And she was telling me that they're focusing some of their resources now on social services for victims of gunshot wounds. Mm -hmm. Because if you've been shot, there's a pretty good chance that you know who shot you. I mean, not always, but a pretty good chance. And so providing social services to those victims to help close those cases, that's also gonna help the, the caseload that a lot of our police officers have right now.
0: Let's talk about the airport. Yep. gonna jump around a little bit. You bet. There's a lot of people who weren't happy with how this whole thing went down. Felt like the city hall wasn't really listening to them, that it kind of got pushed through. Not illegally, but just not the way it should have happened, and it's kind of turned into this big mess. I think most people agree we need a new airport. They just didn't like how it went down. Would you have changed anything in that, in the process? Yeah,
1: absolutely. If if I had a time machine and I could go back, there are some things I'd do differently. What? Um, the first thing I would do is back in 20, I guess it was 16, when the airlines came to Kansas City and said, we have looked at this every which way and we can't remodel your existing terminals. We need to do a new single terminal. We want to pay for it and back the debt. I would have at that point, instead of pressing pause, which is what we did on the whole conversation, I would have at that point done two things. Number one, I would have started a public education process so that we could be really relaying that message that I just gave you in about 10 seconds to the public. And then the second piece is, is I would have issued an RFQP at that moment to say, here's the offer we've been made by these airlines. Who's got big ideas on how to make that happen? And instead we didn't do that. We pressed pause. And then of course it was a messy process. I will tell you though, that for as messy as the process was, Every step of the way, we were able to continue to move forward and the end result was really amazing. And we're seeing it right now because a number of things. Number one, we had the bond sale this week. Right. And uh, investors were so excited about it that they actually gave us an interest rate that was well below what the airlines were even willing to pay. Hmm. So. Out of the gate, we're actually doing better on the project than we thought we would. We've got a development agreement because we worked so long on it that's really going to protect not just, you know, the kansas city you know and make sure that we get what we promise it's going to protect the airlines it's going to protect um the city to make sure that we're meeting deadlines and we've got project controls in that i'm really excited about and then the community benefits agreement was good too because we're going to put men and women to work and local businesses to work and that's what people wanted so yes it was a messy process
0: so when will we get on the first flight out of the new kci do you think
1: so uh right now we are shooting for the the first half of or not first half the first quarter of 2023 as you know we've landed the nfl draft shortly thereafter and so uh we are making it very clear that we will have the airport Mm -hmm. open for that and uh we are pushing hard to make sure that that happens when they showed us the time frame of when they thought they could get it done it was actually a little bit earlier into 2022 but no airline or aviation department wants to open a new airport during the thanksgiving travel season
0: yeah that would be a huge mess Another consideration, uh, point that people, uh, I think, have been frustrated about is the Paseo Avenue, which is just down here. in Sure. The name change and how that went about. What's your take on that? Should it have been done differently?
1: Yeah, I wish that we could have had a citywide vote from the beginning. It seems to me that now that that's the space we're in, that that's where we need to be. I ended up voting for the name change. Why? I, um, I had been... Um, at, kind of at the point where I was listening to all sides I have a district that actually does not have any part of the, of the boulevard in my district whatsoever, and so I was listening to Mm. folks who have um, churches along the boulevard. I was listening to people all over the city who had opinions about it, but at the end of the day, I had uh, Congressman Cleaver come to me in about November of last year and said he thought he had a compromise, and could I be part of that compromise, and I um, guaranteed him and, and gave him my word that I'd vote for it.
0: Why was and he so much involved in it?
1: He was trying to negotiate a compromise between um, the Parks Department, the people that were for it, and the people who were against it. And I thought we had that compromise. But unfortunately, on the day of the vote, it changed. I ended up going ahead and keeping my commitment to Congressman Cleaver. That's I'm kind of the, one of the things that I've always been, I've always prided myself in, is that I'm going to, if I tell you I'm going to vote a certain way, I'm going to vote a certain way. Um but I also will respect the will of the voters, and, and if they change that, then we're gonna have to you know, adjust accordingly. At the Same time, I, I hope that this gives us an opportunity to have a community dialogue, because I wanna make sure that we are paying respect and giving um, you know, obvious recognition to Martin Luther King and the community, it's important. Um, and I also wanna respect our history and our past here in Kansas City.
0: Do you feel that the people who are opposed to it there's a racial component to that or a historical preservation component?
1: To me, it's been the historic piece. Uh, The voices who have stepped up and said they are against the renaming that has taken place, it is a diverse group of voices. It's black people, white people, Latino people. Um, And so I really feel like for the people who live along Martin Luther King Boulevard right now, Mm -hmm. formerly the Paseo, they wanted to have a vote in it. and And that's why they went out and collected signatures.
0: Let's talk about the Northland. There's been concerns from Facebook uh, viewers, a couple of written questions about uh, what are the mayor, what is whoever ends up as mayor, what is he or she going to do for the Northland? Because a lot of times they feel like they're left out, they're paying a lot of taxes, it's going into the urban core or for infrastructure in the downtown area right. or crossroads or wherever and they're getting shafted.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I love about being the 4th District Council person is I actually represent portions of Jackson and Clay County. And that's really kind of fun mm-hmm. because one of the first things I was able to do was just start crossing the bridge on a regular basis and debunking myths. I know that a lot of my constituents who live south of the river think that everything north of the river is brand new that everything, (laughs) that all the streets are paved with gold, that there are no problems whatsoever in the Northland. And I think people in the Northland, you know, understandably so, feel like all of the money that they're paying into their taxes is going into the Southland, which isn't actually accurate either. We have a huge city. It's 319 square miles. And part of the trouble of any council person, mayor, city manager, or anybody, is how do you balance all of that? And so one of the things that I have taken pure joy in is introducing neighborhood leaders from both sides of the river and having them tour each other's neighborhoods. Because you really get a sense of, wow, I had no idea. Hmm. I had a great opportunity to um, take a tour of a neighborhood in North, um, in Maple Park neighborhood is what it was, in, in the Northland. And they were showing me some very distinct problems that they're having. Vacant and abandoned properties, crime, significant infrastructure and flooding issues, no sidewalks. I mean, lots of very significant issues. And they had taken part of a, in a program at the UMKC Center for Neighborhoods, where they had met a cohort of leaders from the east side of Kansas City. Hmm. south of the river and they actually started talking and they said you know what when you look at our neighborhoods it's you could almost kind of compare it to a disease cycle where some of the neighborhoods in the east side are stage 4 and some of the neighborhoods north of the river are stage 2 and we need to put resources into both and so one of the things that i that i will do as the mayor for the northland is recognize that we can't let you know these neighborhoods that are at stage 2 fall off into stage four. We can't do it. That means we have to be focusing in that same level of intensity to make sure that we are triaging our most critical problems, but addressing them all the same. And, and part of that will be through my, what I call my neighborhood's first agenda, which is bringing city hall to the neighborhoods. So one thing that I say when people ask me the question, what are you going to do with the Northland? Well, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bring the city manager and the directors, and we're gonna have evening meetings in the Northland where it's easy to attend so that you can tell us specifically what the top priorities are. And then we also need to make sure that the funding is balanced throughout the city.
0: One thing that's ubiquitous to all of Kansas City this year has been potholes. Yes. I think this took everyone by surprise. I mean, this is the worst winter in 21 years since I've been here, just didn't end. Mm -hmm. Now it seems like the rain wasn't going to end, but what what did we what did we learn from this? I mean, there's still potholes that aren't fixed. I know we didn't have the crews to fix them. We weren't ready. What did we learn from this?
1: Well, I think we learned a number of things. We can't just hope that we're going to have normal weather patterns. Everything's different. I mean, we have a warm winter, and then we have a, a, a winter like we just had. We have massive rain. We have no rain, and so we can't rely on the weather being good. Let's just put it that way. And I, and I feel like part of what we'd had were several winters that were not as rough. And so we got a little bit lax and we didn't have the same level of potholes. Um, other cities have the same problem. You know, I, I looked over at our friends in Omaha, Nebraska, for instance. I think they even changed the name of their minor league baseball team. I don't know if you saw this. No. Um, they changed the name of their minor league baseball team for one game to the to the Omaha Potholes. <laughs> um, there there are cities all over the country where you're struggling with this, but that doesn't make it any better because guess what? You're already paying your taxes. Right. You shouldn't have to pay the additional tax of hitting a pothole and then going to get your car fixed. I mean, that's just the way it is. So what do we do um, moving forward? Well, number one, we have to be doing more of the deferred maintenance long term than we have been so that the potholes don't pop up at that same alarming rate they're going to pop up but we need to make sure that we have done really robust planning so that we don't run into the same place and then we need to make sure that we're using the materials that make sense that we're we're using the most you know innovative materials so that they're lasting longer And that's not always easy to do. I remember during the conversation about this, we had some of our our local companies who said, hey, can we try a couple things out and see if it works any better? And we said, yeah, come on aboard.
0: Did anything work?
1: You know, not at the level we wanted to. And those were kind of test sites. And as you may have heard, even in May alone, we still filled 17,000 potholes. So um, one thing, though, Mark, that's a little bit different about what I'm proposing in order to to avoid this moving forward is we've got to be spending this money right. And I am proposing that we do things differently. And and what I'm proposing is, and, and you can call it whatever you want, shorthand is Department of Transportation. And why am I proposing that? Because right now we have several different departments that are doing this work.
0: Public works. Parks. Parks. Water is often tearing up the streets. So you're proposing creating a new department?
1: It's not necessarily a new department because it may just be someone within the city manager's office. But one of the things that cities have done Mm -hmm. when they go in this model, and we'll have to do what's right for Kansas City. We can't just get a one-size-fits-all and think it'll work. But cities that have followed this have been able to reduce some of the inefficiencies of having all these different departments doing things. And you have long-term planning, like I said, has been missing. You have more accountability and transparency because there's one-stop shopping. There's no more of this. Well, public works was supposed to do it. Parks Mm. was supposed to do it. Water messed this up. You know, none of that. And then... With eliminating some of those duplicated efforts, you're going to get better communication with the public, which I think people would, would appreciate, and then you're going to have more money because you're reducing those those duplicative efforts, and then you can invest that back into more roads, and I, I think it's a smart way to do things. Other cities that are moving in that direction are, are seeing a good return on their investment.
0: Because a lot of people don't know this, but like the parks is in charge of the boulevards, right? Right. And then public works is, like if I have a hole out here, they can well... The Water Department had to dig up a line of here they came out, then Public Works came out and filled the hole. Right. So it is kind of a duplication of efforts.
1: Yeah, it really is, and and when I think about how it's, it's you know, one group chasing after another group, it just, it, it exhausts, it really exhausts the citizens. It exhausts mm-hmm. me. I mean, I remember in front of my house, watching the street get torn up, and then someone just left the plate behind, and it wasn't attached to the ground. Just. When right. they finished, they just left it. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I just had to sit there and listen to someone hit the, hit the plate over and over. And it slowly started moving its way down the street. And every time I'd call and report it, they'd say, oh, well, water department says it's been picked up. Or the gas company says it's been picked up. or No, it hadn't been picked <laughs> up. It's still sitting there. Well, <laughs> so, you were
0: here when Funkhauser was mayor, right? Right. And he had this big initiative to let's get rid of the steel plates. This is ridiculous because mm-hmm. we were becoming this, instead of the city of fountains, it was a city of steel, steel plates. plates. They were everywhere. <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: So that'd be nice to totally do away with that. When did you decide you were gonna run for mayor?
1: I think it was um, you know, very early in my, my term as city council person. I mean, obviously we knew that Mayor James was not gonna be. Um,
0: did you go to him and tell him what you were gonna do to seek out his endorsement?
1: I'm not sure that I did that. I don't remember a sit down where I said, right. Hey, I'm running for mayor. Um,
0: but that was in your mind that you wanted to, that yeah, was your no, next I next mean, without what,
1: Yeah. Without question. One of the things that I had thought about even when I ran for council was, um, you know, as, as what I'd like to do next is, is leave the city. And, and, uh, and so that was, you know, when I, when I decided to leave the state politics and focus on local. That was always something that I looked at, yeah.
0: So then when Jason Kander pops up and goes, hey, I'm gonna run for mayor, that had to like, oh.
1: Yeah, she he's was, got
0: the name recognition. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and that was a tough one. And I was just reminiscing, it was a, a year ago this weekend mm-hmm. when I first got wind that that was happening. And uh, I was frustrated. And one of the things that I did, as you know, is I sat down with him and had a conversation and I asked him why he was running and gave me a lot of the same reasons I've given you today. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we have the same base. Um, he obviously had um, you know, a following that was a whole lot larger than mine, the ability to, to raise the money necessary to win. And I quickly made the decision that I needed to put Kansas City first before my own political mm. interest. And I thought, you know what? There's a good chance that we could run against each other, take from away from each other's votes and then someone that I didn't think was qualified would become mayor. And then, you know, the other thing is is I could lose and then I wouldn't be there to make sure that we got the airport done right, that we did all those other things. And so I made the decision at that point to step back
0: you've been in touch with him? I have. How's
1: he doing? I have. You know, I don't know if you saw, he had a, a national discussion last night. I didn't see that. Um, on one of your competitors on NBC, um, Lester Holt, I know. Uh, nationally. Okay, so. <laughs> It wasn't local. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, did an interview with him about his PTSD treatment. And uh-huh. uh, and so that was, a, a, you know, obviously a national conversation. But leading up to that, he and I have kept in touch. He has been um, really, really diligent about getting the services he needs for himself, but also um, taking care of his, his mm. son and, and really being a dad.
0: Wow. Father's Day is coming up, too. Who's a hero in your life? When you were growing up, I just like, I want to be like them.
1: Wow, that's a great question. I think it's a whole lot of different people. I mean, I, I have a very close relationship with my mom and dad. I was a typical... Where do they live? Um, they live in Branson, Missouri. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So. You got
0: to see the ball knobbers sometimes?
1: No. <laughs> you know, I, I have never... That's an odd thing You've about me. I've
0: never that. seen the ball knobbers. Okay.
2: Anyway, back to your hero. I'm sorry. Um,
1: but, you know, the thing that I really loved about my mom and dad is everything I said I was going to do, they just never batted an eye. They said, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, we're with you. So, I mean, I could be the second string jv basketball player and they are going to every single one of my games to watch me ride the bench when i announced i was going to play soccer and no one in our family knew anything about soccer this is when i was in third grade um i signed my dad up to be the coach and he did it just because he wanted to support me i i think that was a big deal i um I don't know if I've ever told you this I wanted to be a, um, a broadcast journalist was my big really? yeah and so Why? my my college degree is in radio and television I didn't and know and my first seven years of before I went to law school was as a radio newscaster mm. and who was
0: uh, it in uh, broadcasting that you emu- it was to Tom emulate?
1: Brokaw as a matter of fact I was Tom looking Brokaw. recently at my high school um, yearbook and on the back my mom and dad you know they buy an ad right. congratulations or whatever and it says look out Tom Brokaw <laughs> The <laughs> Wow. So that was interesting because I don't ever remember saying. Now, I how come you do didn't that. do that? Well, I spent seven years in radio, and um, when I had been in the the business for seven years, I remember my dad um, asked me if I wanted to come work at his law firm on a side job. Uh-huh. I'd been in the same radio station off and on for seven years, along with some others, and I had just gotten a raise to six dollars an hour. I um, I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have any oh, yeah. days off. I didn't have any paid vacation or four hundred one k or any of that, and. Uh, so he offered me this kind of job, making like six fifty an hour. The starting pay at McDonald's was six fifty an hour, and I thought, all right, I'll do that. And and I really fell in love with the law after that. Hmm. So,
0: what does he like about law?
1: You know, it is probably that problem solving thing hmm. that I just love. I love someone to come and say, here's an issue. How do we fix this? And then figuring out what tools are out there to make it happen. So I think that really was part of it. Hmm.
0: If you become mayor, you're gonna have a whole new city council. How, How do you lead, I mean, the city, it's a strong city manager form of government, but how do you lead a city council into a vision that you've created?
1: I think it's a number of things. Um, because it is a city manager form of government and because mm-hmm. passing policies means that you've gotta to get to seven votes, right? That's how you right. pass anything because there's 13 And you get one. And I get one. Um, and so one of the first things I would do is sit down with each council member, And I've been watching all the campaigns and then, of course, I've served with some of the folks who will be returning Mm -hmm. and saying, what are your priorities? What do you want to see so that we can all be working towards shared priorities and not working in different directions? But then also really just meeting people where they are. When I got elected to the state Senate, a lot of people were saying, "Okay, how are you, Jolie, a Democrat, going to go down to Jefferson City where you're going to be in the minority party? And actually get anything accomplished. And I was able to accomplish a lot because the first thing I did was reach out to my colleagues, regardless of where they lived or what their party affiliation was, and just get to know hmm. them. And and what are your priorities? Kind and, of like
0: the Tip O'Neill approach.
1: Well, yeah. And, and the reality is, is we have a whole lot more in common than we have that sets mm-hmm. us apart. Are there big issues between differences between Republicans and Democrats? Of course there are. Absolutely. And there were times where we did not agree. But to a person, the people I served with have always said, she tells the truth. She's passionate about Mm -hmm. the things she's passionate about. And we could always trust her to, to, I mean, you know, one of the things that would crack me up is they'd come to me and they'd say, look, we've got got this thing that we really need help with. You know, will you go out there and, and stop this thing that has come from our side of the aisle? And I said, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to go out and stop something that is, you know, one, you know, someone in your party is supporting. Yeah, because it's just gone a little too far, that mm. sort of thing. And so working to try to meet, the, meet in the middle um, was important. I also learned very quickly that when I went to a lot of my colleagues, even the most conservative colleagues, and I said, hey, can you be with me on that? They would just say, no, I can't, but here's something I can be with you on and try to get things mm. accomplished that way, so... It was
0: helpful when you look at what's going on in politics today washington in particular you're wincing know. <laughs> your blood pressure shoot you see it isn't that sad yeah. i don't care what party you're in it's just like right i don't know
1: yeah the thing I, that frustrated me is when i was in jefferson city which is wasn't even that long ago i was there from seven to 2007 to 2015 my closest friends were republicans we had dinner together every night they're the people i still you know work with on a you know basis across the state that i'm you know when we go on family vacations we go to their mm-hmm. home they come to ours that sort of thing and and it wasn't because we always voted together but we respected each other and we and we had that
0: what happened to that
1: i don't know it just went you know what i do know i know part of it okay. is through the constant change in kind of how we do redistricting we have created districts where you have to be far left to get out of a Democratic district and far right to get out of a Republican district. And so in the primaries, you are electing people who are diametrically opposed. And so then you get down to Jefferson City or to Washington, D.C., and there's no common ground because there's none of that middle space.
0: Well, that's the state legislature's fault. They set the boundaries, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, actually, the, the last set of boundaries uh, when it comes to the state came from a and this was kind of interesting. I don't even know if you know this about me. Um, it was a panel of five Republicans and five Democrats, and they drew the boundaries. And that it was under, though, a governor. Um, Nixon was the one mm-hmm. who appointed them. Um, at the end of the day, they ended up making a map that moved my district across the state. So for my last two years in the Senate, I represented um, Callaway, Audrain, Monroe, Montgomery, Warren, and Lincoln counties. So I was elected by the people of Kansas City, but I represented people in very conservative part of the state. And uh, one of my favorite, you know what, it was actually great. It was great because I would leave Jeff City on Fridays and I'd go to one of my counties and I'd meet with the school boards and the superintendents and the economic development folks and, you know, do all those things. And inevitably, you're at the fish fry afterwards or whatever you go to and they look at you and you're like, you're not so bad. <laughs> and I'd say, <laughs> you're not so bad either. Because it, it really a lot of our priorities were the same. Yeah. You know, we were not going to agree on. I don't
0: inf- think you should use that for a campaign slogan. Jolie Justice, she's You're not, not so bad. bad.
1: But, but, but what it showed was is even though we weren't going to agree on implementing the Affordable Care Act or we weren't going to agree on, you know, insert the hot button issue here. We all cared about high paying jobs for our constituents. Mm. I remember the number one priority the year that I was first moved over into that district for Kansas City was an angel investor tax credit so that entrepreneurs could have tax credits. Like Kansas has. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the number one priority for Kansas City, Missouri. And I was carrying that bill in Jeff City. It was also the number one priority for Montgomery County, Missouri, Hmm. because they had done a lot of economic development in their county and they wanted more of those tools available as well. So, I mean, there were ways we could meet in the middle.
0: So you told me that when you got elected to city council, you already had in your mind the mayor's the next step. If you become mayor of Kansas City, what's the next step after that?
1: There's no next step. Now, I say Hold that. On now. I say that, and I remember when Congressman Cleaver um, finished up as mayor. He came and spoke at our law firm, mm-hmm. and he was talking about politics and, and all of these different things. And I remember him saying, "You know, if I ever run for office again, I'm clearly smoking crack. You need to tell right. me to step away, and all this sort of thing." Um, and I, it wasn't long after that where you know he um, stepped up and ran mm-hmm. again. And I remember seeing him, and I, and I said, "Reverend, you said." <laughs> he said, "I know. Um, I, I will tell you this. I am at a point in my life where um, this is what I've been working towards. This is this is it." This is what I want. Um, if, if an opportunity came forward and they said, Jolie, we need you here, I would entertain it. But I have to tell you, I really love my life. I love, um, I don't have this anymore. Mm. I love taking weekends off and taking a hike in the woods. I love- Why don't you do um, that
2: anymore
0: though? What'd you say? You, you don't do that anymore?
1: I mean, not on the campaign trail.
0: Well, out yeah, now. But, but I you, mean,
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have yeah. to reinstate that. What we've done to supplement that, just so uh-huh. you know, is um, first, during the primary, we took a walk across the city. I don't know if you've heard me talk about uh-huh. this, but... So the southernmost tip of Kansas City is 163rd and Prospect. Okay. So we started on a snowy morning in January and started walking um, in Cass County there and kept walking every weekend until we hit 144th and Interurban wow. Road, which is north of the airport. How
0: many miles is that? It,
1: we went over. 63 miles we zigzagged a little bit so that we could be in safe you know sidewalks when necessary and that sort of thing um but yeah so it was about the 63 mile hike and Mm. then since the primary was over we've been doing neighborhood walks so i mean tomorrow i think we've got two or three same on sunday where i meet neighborhood leaders We have a little conversation like this on the porch or inside. And then we go out and we just tour the neighborhood. Hmm. And they show me the potholes and the sidewalks and the flooding.
0: (laughs) Is there one thing that sticks out in your mind, a story or something from someone in a particular neighborhood that really got to you?
1: You know, when I was talking to the leaders at Maple Park, and I've already talked to you a little bit about this, and they had come to the realization as had the neighborhood leaders on the east side, that they were both struggling with the same issues. They were just at different levels. That was that moment for me where I knew that while this is really hard, what I'm proposing, that we take the success that we've seen downtown, the crossroads, and that we expand it to all of the neighborhoods. That was the moment that I realized we can really mm. do this. And, and that was that just light bulb went off and I thought, this is it. Wow. This is how we make things happen. We, we get leaders working with leaders and, uh, and take City Hall to them. And it won't be easy. Mm. And my, my hope is I win, and eight years later, I hand the baton off to the next person who takes it to the next level after mm. that. And I think cities that are really healthy, that's how it works. You have successive leaders who say, okay, um, I've done this much, this was my role. You that's take it. That's what
0: slides doing with you.
2: That would be my hope.
0: Mm. All right, my son, Mark Jr., has some uh, questions from the Book of Faces. Yeah, ask yours first. He asked Quentin this. I'm an
2: an artist in Kansas City, uh, I mean, in the Crossroads Arts District. I've been there since 2013, off and on. I've seen it change a lot. First Fridays has always been a really big part of uh, the Crossroads, and the Crossroads really built on artists. Artists really started that district. Um, I have some friends who sell their stuff on the street, um, like many others do. Well, the CCA, which has kind of taken over control of the First Fridays District has now started charging artists to have booth fees, going around with a cop demanding that these artists pay a $25 fee, which isn't a lot, but to a young artist um, can mean a big chunk of profits. So how are we going to keep the Crossroads Arts District art-centered? There's a lot of artists being pushed out, being priced out. How are we going to keep it an arts district? Because I personally am very invested into it, and I want to continue to see art development
1: right i didn't know that about the the charging artists i know that from time to time we have conversations about how big the first fridays has become and we've had to talk about what we're going to do with the food trucks and where the food trucks are going to go and all of this sort of thing it seems to me like um has there been an attempt with the cca to sit down and and have a dialogue about coming up with kind of a plan for how we can do all of this at the same time
2: i mean I don't want to be disparaging, but the CCA has really taken control and there are certain people who are property owners who are involved to really have spearheaded their own initiatives without necessarily to say ourselves we're part of the cca but not as active as others okay Um, but it seems to be a few people who have kind of taken control over this
1: well one of the models that i do and and this always is is the hardest way to do things and this is one of the biggest differences by the way between me and, and mayor james is when i run into a neighborhood issue like this i bring the most kind of polarizing voices to the table and try to have a two-way dialogue about seeing where we can meet some, you know, meet in the middle on this. And so that would be the first thought that pops into my head is, does it make sense to have sort of a mediated conversation? I I don't mean to be too formal, but um, where we all talk about what the crossroads means to everybody and how what we're talking about impacts all the different visitors. Um, It's kind of a I'm not saying that it's reached this level, but it's kind of a conflict resolution technique. Mm-hmm. We do it with neighborhood accountability boards where everybody comes in and talks about how one person's action or one group's action is really negatively or positively impacting others. And so really trying to come up with a solution to that. I think additionally, one of the things that's been really great to me as, a, as an elected official is I've always been able to talk about my support of the arts and I've always backed it up with sort of the return on investment piece. Mm-hmm. I can make the economic... Economic case for the arts easily what I wasn't talking about though was the artists themselves you basically and and really talking about the importance of making sure that we are as we continue to see prices grow and, and on rents on studio spaces as we continue to see people displaced and then moving into neighborhoods where artists are also fearful they're going to be displacing you know, local residents who've lived there for years. So how do we make sure that we are coming up with innovative programs that are are helping not just cultural institutions or events, but also the artists themselves? Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've talked about is possibly allowing our 1% for the Arts program to be used for more than just um, public infrastructure. And is it time for it to go to 2% of the arts? I All don't right. know. I don't know if that's a thing. But also,
2: too, with the 1%, and sorry to sidetrack, but the no, 1% fine. too is open to a lot of artists, and a lot of times these public works are actually outside artists who are applying for these public grants, too. So how are we going to keep it more local? Yeah, so
1: what I meant was, like, instead of using the 1% of the arts for just making public art mm-hmm. in a public infrastructure project, which I think is important, um, also talking about could we use these funds for programming that actually... Helps, helps artists that are from artists. Kansas City, Missouri, because that's that's, that's not a way we can use it right now. But when I see, for instance, that we're building a new salt shack, and it's going to be a let's say a new what? salt shack to store salt. Oh. So it's a $500,000 salt shack.
0: How do you put art on that?
1: Well, that's exactly right. why do you need right. art on that? Exactly. So why wouldn't that 1% in particular, Go rather than else. finding something else to put it into publicly, why couldn't we put it into a fund that's supporting
0: mm-hmm. local artists? A lot of people watching may not know that uh, there was a bridge down here built over Brush Creek. And every time a public uh, uh, infrastructure project is built, 1% of the total cost of the project has to go into art for that project. Mm -hmm. And so when you go across here, along the Paseo or MLK across Brush Creek, you'll notice there's fancy lights and there's some artistic design to the bridge. And it's that 1% Mm -hmm. that's been mandated by the city, which is to encourage artistic endeavor.
1: Right. And, and I think that that has been used fantastically in some of those type of things. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a storage shed on for a <laughs> maintenance base um, or if you're, you know, where no one is ever going right. to see it, wouldn't it be great if we could use mm. those funds instead, um, not just to find another project within that department? So that's public works, right. for instance. Pub- and I'm not saying public works doesn't need arts. But I mean, is there a way to use that money for artists mm. instead of actual art?
2: Any other questions from Facebook? Uh, yes, Jesse E. Jackson asks, what about the homeless population? Ah, we
0: didn't talk about that with Clinton. I've been out feeding the homeless with Scott Lamaster, and I don't know, he has a taken to the streets uh, nonprofit. He feeds 250 homeless twice a, um, mm-hmm. a week here in Kansas City. And I've been out there and I've seen the issues. A lot of it's mental health, a lot of it's uh, veterans, a lot of it's people who don't want to have the structure of uh, city union mission, mm-hmm. and they got a lot of rules. It's a, it's a religious organization, and so uh, people don't want to abide by the rules. For whatever reason, we have a big homeless population here, not right. like San Francisco, but how would you address the homeless situation here?
1: You know, one of the things that we've done on the West side with some success that I would like to see ramped up is for those homeless camps that are on our public parks properties is doing case park. Yes. One case park is one. And we have dealt with this on the West side significantly Mm -hmm. um, off of Beardsley road. And um, one of the things that we did is, if you've been in the community serving, then you know what it's like at a lot of the homeless camps and you've seen what we're what we're dealing with. And so what happens is, is that it starts to become a dangerous situation for the men and women who are living in the camp because yep. of public health issues. It also starts to become a dangerous situation for those people who have houses around yep. the homeless camp because crime does inevitably increase and trash and all of the other things that come with it. So we actually, when things get to a point where um, we need to clean the camp out, we do a very holistic thing where we take in social workers and just do good old fashioned social work fairs and we try to meet and help individuals where they are and say okay what is the number one thing that you need in order to not live in this specific Mm -hmm. camp and you're right there are some folks who don't want to Um, take advantage of the brick and mortar facilities that we have. And I I understand that because there might be rules that you don't want to comply Mm. with. Um, I met a man who had been so um, attacked by bed bugs that he spent over a week in Truman Medical Center with an allergic reaction to that. And that Mm. was from one night in a a homeless shelter. So he said, I'm not going back. I Mm. don't care. Um, And so what we were able to do is every weekend we said, we're going to be moving you out in a month. But every weekend we're going to be here offering services. To see, and we had people take us up on it. We had people accept, um, you know, we had people accept a room at a, at a, um, at a nursing facility because that, that individual was mm. so sick that he, he needed to be in an assisted facility. We had one guy who said, you know what, I'm just ready to go home and I'm from North Carolina. And so we you know, got him to the point where he was able to call his family and then we were able to purchase him a, a ticket to go home. Mm. Those are some of the things we're doing. That's just the short-term type solution though. We're gonna have to continue to invest in mental health and addiction services. And then the one thing that I'd like to see work better in kansas city is people like the the ones that you've been working with who do the street work Mm -hmm. because i work with a lot of folks i work with a guy who does a street medicine program bringing um, medicine into the homeless camps i'd like to see um, more collaboration from a public health perspective with the folks who are doing the brick and mortar because there's a disconnect there And there are people who don't want to go to homeless shelters for very understandable reasons. So how do we um, make sure we're providing services that assist Mm -hmm. everyone?
0: So you get Rex Archer involved and that sort of thing?
1: I would like to see that,
0: yeah.
2: Can I tangent from that too? Yes. So we have people who are homeless. um, I also have a lot of art friends, but even beyond art friends, a lot of young people really struggling to being able to afford uh, not only rent, but also rising electric prices rising utility prices. How are you going to keep it um, not only for the homeless people but also those um, at risk or those who uh, do not have a secure home and young people? Because we have a lot of these big developments and luxury developments, but uh, living downtown is not cheap.
1: No, it is is not cheap. And there are... pockets of places downtown where you can still possibly afford to live but they're very in demand hard to get into and um, increasingly we're having to see people move further and further out and that's not that's not the kind of city that I want. I want everybody to be able to live, um, frankly, where they want to live. But if you're going to live further out, we don't have transportation options that bring people into the jobs and bring people in. So one of the things that I propose is a program that I'm already involved with. It's just kind of been in the private sector only. Um, We're really doing a little bit more at City Hall, but it is an adopt a neighborhood program. And so it's sort of a, a Like I said, the private sector's been taking care of it through some laws that I actually helped pass in Jefferson City, the Abandoned Property Act, Housing Act, where you can get, we give free legal services to sue, to bring properties back on the tax rolls. Mm -hmm. And then we work with private developers, CDCs and charities like Catholic Charities and others to rehab the properties. And then what the next step we need to do is, is work to get incentives that would be specifically for people who are wanting to get into one of these first time homes. Um, and, And because a lot of these houses are on transit lines because they're in the core of the city. Right, right. And so to me, if we've got a situation where we're short on housing and we have nine, 9,000 vacant and abandoned properties in Kansas City. To me, that's the fastest way to pr- provide additional mm-hmm. housing stock. And I remember when I bought my first house, there were all sorts of programs through local CDCs mm-hmm. about how I could get you know, certain things waived or I could get a tax abatement for a certain number of years. And that way you could make sure that as property taxes rise, that you're locked in at a certain rate for at least a certain amount of time. We need to go back to making sure those programs are available. It really fell apart when our CDCs went away and and we need to get our philanthropic community back into to looking at that as a priority. There's
0: something about home ownership and the pride of that, of owning something. I'm not saying that all renters are bad, but there's just something about owning your own home, that you want to keep the yard up nice, you want to make the neighborhood better.
1: And there's also something that when you start to look at the statistics that home ownership is one of the fastest ways out of poverty into Mm. really, you know, a a higher quality of life. And so if we can all, you know, work on making sure that we're stabilizing rent opportunities, but at the same time, getting people on a path to home ownership, the whole community improves.
0: Mm. I know you're busy. I got a couple of more questions. We'll wrap it up. 20% of the voters are still undivided, uh, undecided. Why is that?
1: You know, um, what I hear on a day-to-day basis is that a lot of people just don't see the difference between the two of us. They see two, you know, progressive lawyers with very similar visions. They say, you know what, we're good either way, you know, and they just haven't made up their mind yet. I think that's a part of it. I think also a lot of people, um, frankly, just... Have life going on and mm-hmm. haven't really stopped to say I'm going to roll up my sleeves now and figure out which one of these people I'm going to vote for. Um, that that's just something that when you've got, I mean, we had obviously during the first part of this race we had the November elections that were happening right. nationally and the state level. Then you have the holidays, you have the Chiefs doing all their amazing stuff, and then all of a sudden it's you know into the first part of the year, and then April came around and and that was the first vote right, and mm-hmm. so that we've narrowed it down to two. That helped some folks kind of. Decide one way or the other, but at the end of the day, I think uh, you know a lot of folks just still haven't taken the time mm-hmm. to kind of brush up on the issues and, and see what the differences
0: are. Only well, takes 13,000 votes to become mayor of Kansas City. Does that surprise you?
1: It's it doesn't surprise me because I've been doing this so long, but it, but it disappoints me. I wish more people would vote.
0: And why should they vote Tuesday?
1: They should vote Tuesday because
0: not just for you, but why should no yeah vote? no yeah
1: this is exactly what I'm talking about. Right. So. The issues that your city council and your mayor um, deal with on a day-to-day basis are the most significant issues that face a person. It is your quality of life. It is your public safety. It is how your tax dollars are spent and whether your car is going to hit a pothole and and get the tire or the axle blown out. Um, It is bigger picture issues like collaborating to get healthier schools. It's um, making sure that we have our trash picked up. Um, Those things are critical. Voting every four years in a presidential election is important and you should always do that. But when you walk out of your house in the morning, the first thing you see is going to be the thing that bugs you all day. Um, The last thing you hear at night when you fall asleep is going to be the thing that bugs you um, city council and the mayor they're the ones that are working to, to change the policies mm. and so if you make your voice heard um, you're gonna you're gonna be able to hold folks accountable
0: my wife i don't know if you know leslie if you've met her she works for the parks department now and so her question to you and quentin today was what is your favorite park in Kansas City and why?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, so I am a huge parks fanatic, so I'm mm-hmm. glad you asked this question, and thank her for asking that. Actually, when I first got elected to council, I took the opportunity to go to every single park in the entire city. My 240
0: poor, parks? Yes,
1: yes, and my poor wife has to do this with me. I told you we went through the you know the Sunday hike thing. Right. Um, we started out by just parks with trails, and then we expanded, and then I just had to check off every list. We did the same thing with the Missouri State Parks. We did all... I don't know, 88 of those over the course of a year and a half across the entire state. Have been on the Katy state. Trail? Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. So um, my favorite park, I think kind of a go-to park for me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though it's at the very, very end of the park system, is the Jerry Smith Park. Where's that? It is um, at 134th and Prospect.
0: Way down there. Yeah,
1: and so here's the cool thing about huh. it. It is the only reclaimed prairie in all of Jackson County. And the reason I love this park is that every time of the year is a little bit different. So in the winter, you know, mm. it's nice to just go out and kind of have the quiet, you know, you know, w- walk around the, you know, the park system there. But then in the spring, sometimes they'll do a, a controlled burn, which is always fascinating to watch. In the summer, they've got all the native grasses with all of the birds and the pollinators and everything going. Mm. The fall is gorgeous. I don't know what these trees are called, but the ones that make the big green things um, the,
0: oh, the horse apples. Yeah, yeah, they're huge, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, they got a technical name, They got a name. horse apples. Yeah,
1: and so huh. those are everywhere, which is Modark fascinating. is the name of Okay, them. yeah, so it's just, it's this, it, I, I love preserved prairies because of, of the, just the native grasses and the plants, and, and there's a nice walking trail, mm. so, I, you know, that's probably a go-to one for me, um, just when I want to get out and, and do that sort of what thing. What are you going
0: to do if Tuesday doesn't turn out good for you? I'm
1: going to Go down to Jerry Smith Park and take a walk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, then come get a job at Fox. You get back in broadcasting. <laughs> Sounds good. We need another lawyer. You're a John a lawyer.
1: I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, my, my degree mm. was in radio and television, so mm. I should probably try to use it at some point in my life.
0: Come fill in on the morning show, Jolie, So good to meet you. It's great to get meet to you. know you. I. I, I'm honored that you came on my French porch and took time out. Thank so. you
1: for hosting. You're yeah. a fabulous host. One more question yes.
2: for the people. Oh. So young people who mm-hmm. don't know where their voting place is or where to vote or if they're registered, how can they find out?
1: Absolutely. So the, the quickest way because we have four different counties is to go to the Missouri Secretary of State website. But I will say this. If you live in Kansas City, south of the river, it's faster to go to KCEB.org, which is Kansas City Election org. If you live north of the river, there or, um, you can go to the Clay County website or the Platt County website, um, but there is one-stop shopping at the Missouri Secretary of State website.
0: So get out and vote. This Tuesday, I would love to see at least 30,000 people vote in the mayor election. That would break last cycle. That would be fun, <laughs> wouldn't it? Thank you for getting comfortable with Mark Alford. Thank you, Jelly. That's
1: great. Thank you.
0: Look around. You can find
2: cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs>